You're listening to Thinking Within the Church with Andrew Ray Williams. Thanks so much for joining me on episode five of season two of Thinking Within the Church. So good to have you. Uh, We are continuing our conversation on Diedrich Bonhoeffer with Joel Lawrence. And uh, if you haven't joined us for the past episodes, I'd really encourage you to go back to the first episode of the season and listen to Joel and I talk about Diedrich Bonhoeffer's great book, Life Together. This is actually our last episode with Joel on this particular book, and uh, we're really excited to really get into it. We're talking about confession. We're talking about the Lord's Supper on this episode, and there's lots of good stuff coming up. So uh, without further ado, let's just go and jump right into this episode with Dr. Joel Lawrence on Chapter 5 of Life Together. Well, Joel, thanks so much for being with us, man. This has uh, been so fun, and uh, this is our last episode on Life Together. I can't believe it. This has been a fun journey. Yeah, we're, we, we've we made our way here to the end, and and what I think is, is a really important culminating chapter of the book, I, I was thinking as I was reading back through it, I'm, I'm tempted just to read the chapter as this kind of episode yeah, of the podcast. Absolutely. It's, it's so rich and and there's so much here to dig into. Yeah, it's, it really is. And uh, there, there's so much that I highlighted here, so much, so much good stuff. And, you know, as, as you pointed out kind of before we hit record this chapter, this last chapter is, you know, entitled confession, Lord's supper, but, 98% of it is on confession. And so there's a lot we can we can get into regarding confession, even maybe how that dovetails in Lord's Supper. It does. It relates. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I know this chapter specifically is special to you, Joel, because this is kind of at the heart of your dissertation um on Bonhoeffer. So I'm really excited about getting into it. But let me just tee you up with that. Yeah. So you're right. I uh when I wrote my dissertation now over 20 years ago, which is hard to believe, uh <laughs> on Bonhoeffer, uh this this chapter um in the the I the his theological vision of confession kind of formed the the heart of what I was doing in my dissertation. And I won't I won't bore uh, the listeners with with all the details, you know, you get someone talking about their doctoral dissertation that can get pretty dangerous. Um, but I, I will just give you an overview of it just so that folks can kind of have the context here. Um, I, I the the chapter or the title of my dissertation was death together. Um, and so what what I was looking at in the dissertation is how Bonhoeffer understands how we are turned from, you know, a theme that we've talked about a little bit earlier in our conversations, the heart turned in on itself, which is this uh, Lutheran vision of what it means to be a sinner is we're no longer turned outward towards God and neighbor. Now we're the heart turned in on itself. And Bonhoeffer has this uh, idea. He, he takes that idea of the heart turned in on itself, but then also when he talks about who the church is and our work in the world, he he talks about being the church for others. So I was interested in in his theology. How does he understand this move from the heart turned in on itself to the church for others? Uh, and so I wanted to do is really look at a 
his vision of transformation, how we're transformed, but not in the context of individualistic transformation, which is often the way that the evangelical world and, and broadly the Protestant world can tend to think about that theme. Uh, you know, how am I being transformed? What does it look like for me to become holy? With Bonhoeffer's conception of the church and the centrality of our togetherness, I wanted to look at how he understands that transformative work of God to be a communal event. And so what I was looking at is how do we participate in the death of Christ communally through which we are put to death together as a community that we might have life together as a community and live out this vision of the church for others, of the church being uh, engaged in the life of the world in a different way. So that was kind of the arc of the dissertation. And as we will, we'll dig into this confession is, is really kind of the pivotal move in that transformative event of the heart turned in on itself to the church being for others. You don't get there in Bonhoeffer's theology without confession. Mm, mm, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Well, why don't you get us into this, this chapter uh, and what, you know, I guess a good question to set this up is, is what is Bonhoeffer's theology of question of confession? Yeah. So, um, you know, he, he starts out um, by talking about the, the final breakthrough to Christian confession or to Christian community comes through confession and the, the kind of opening paragraph of the chapter He's talking about the fact that we don't break through to community precisely because we don't give ourselves, we don't give each other permission to be sinners. And what he means by that is not, um, you know, kind of a, hey, you're a sinner, just do whatever you want, you know, kind of vent your sinfulness. It's not that that he's talking about. He's saying when we come together in the church, too often we come together as pious believers and through that, we don't acknowledge the depths of our brokenness. Uh, we don't come together, he, as he says, as those lacking piety, as sinners, right? So he's very concerned about the way that when the church gathers, we often can be not being honest about who we are, not being honest about the, the brokenness that is within us. And when we're not being honest about who we are and the brokenness that is within us, then inevitably we're not going to have the kind of honest uh, living fellowship that that God calls us to have because we're constantly hiding from each other. So he views confession as vital to the breakthrough to community, the, the breakthrough to this life together, because it's only in that act of confessing our sins to one another, that we really are having the light of Christ and his grace shine in upon us, which can renew us and renew us in our fellowship. So so his his vision of, of confession, again, as, as I said when I was talking about the dissertation, his vision of confession is that it is essential to living this vision of life together that he has had. So you mentioned that uh, 
you know, the chapter is called Confession and the Lord's Supper, but the vast majority of it, majority of it is confession, which would be really unusual in a Lutheran context. And, and in fact, in, in most Protestant contexts, you know, if you have a vision of the Lord's Supper, that's usually more developed in our theological vision, but confession is is less developed. He certainly has a high vision of the Lord's Supper, but I think he spends so much time on confession here because he's pushing against trends within his own context. And I think trends within our context, which kind of leaves confession maybe as an optional thing that we do on the side or, or maybe in, in you know broadly evangelical context, we may talk of it as accountability groups or we have an accountability partner that we share things that we're struggling with but we don't tend to have a really rich theological vision of what's going on in confession. And so I, I think he's one of the best Protestant writers on that, that, that I'm aware of. Yeah, I agree with you, Joel. And I did wonder if um, part of the, part of what he's doing is, is trying to correct some of the, um, just the fact that we don't have much in terms of Protestant theology on confession. Um, and it seems like in, in a lot of ways, we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater um, in terms of, of an overreaction against confession, because I, you know, he starts out the chapter uh, with James five sixteen, confess your sins one to another, that this is yeah. rooted uh, ultimately in scripture. And he expounds from that a, a bigger vision of what it could actually mean and how this how this is actually supposed to function, how this can function as the body of Christ. And, uh, you know, something that came up for me as you were talking about, you can't actually be in community with people without confession, according yeah. to Bonhoeffer. And I think part of this has to be the fact that you can't be a true community if in Jesus Christ, if you're living a prideful Kind of life that is not actually yeah. vulnerable and exposed and it seems like that's something he's he's really hitting on is in on page 90 says the root of sin is pride yeah and ultimately it's a death to our pride and we can't actually participate in the death of christ if unless first we actually deal with the pride in our lives yeah he, he makes this point that um that confession is it is a humiliation right to to really sit and talk to someone and form into words the reality of of what happens inside of me there is shame involved with that there's there's a humiliation involved with that but what he is getting us to think about is that that is the place that Christ went on our behalf. Christ was publicly humiliated on the cross, right? That, that, that when Christ went to the cross, he took on that humiliation. He took on that shame and, and was humiliated. I mean, the cross, we talk about the, the physical pain of the cross, but there's also the deep humiliation of the cross. And so he's effectively saying, if we refuse to go to where Christ went on our behalf, 
then we are actually refusing to take up the cross, right? We, we're not participating with Christ in the sufferings of his death. And in that refusal, we remain prideful. We remain in our sinfulness of resisting the humility that would come were I to confess truly the sins of, of who I am. And, and God did not keep himself in Christ free from that humility. He didn't live that kind of a prideful life exactly because he came in his love and in his grace to set us free from that pride. So that kind of idea of there's a couple of solidarity kind of ideas here. One is we're in solidarity with each other as the com the communion of sinners. Um, yes, the church is the communion of saints, but in order to be the communion of saints, we have to first recognize that we're the communion of sinners. So we have a solidarity together that we are all sinners. And then the second solidarity is the solidarity with Christ that we in confession, and we can talk about this in a minute when we unpack some more of the, the chapter, that in confession, that is for Bonhoeffer, the practical discipline of cross-bearing, right? That, that cross-bearing isn't just some general, oh, the sufferings of the world come upon me and I and I share the sufferings of the world. Cross-bearing is, is actually the participation in the humiliation that was Christ's death. And, and the, the joy of it is it doesn't leave us in that humiliation. It's not God, you know, grinding our nose in our humiliation, saying to us, oh, look what an awful sinner you are and keeping us in that position. It's our honest assessment of ourselves. And in that honest assessment, again, the light of God's love and God's grace comes before us. So I, I do think, you know, going back to your original question, I, I do think he is trying to correct something that has been lost in the Protestant world. Um, and, and particularly, I think, you know, in his own context, the, the Lutheran church is pretty allergic to anything that sniffs of Catholicism, right? Because Luther's great opponent was the Catholic church and his great opponent was some of the structures of the Catholic church, the means of grace of the Catholic church, the way that that was, was lived out. Um, so there's some concern, some nervousness around things like confession and the way that that has been developed within Catholicism. And I think what Bonhoeffer helpfully recovers here is a, a, a Protestant vision of a higher view of what confession is that doesn't tip over into some of the, the dangers that Lutheranism and Protestantism uh, are are concerned about with the Catholic tradition. Yeah, that's really helpful, Joel. And I think, um, you know, before I just say, hey, tell us more, because there's a lot more that we need to unpack here. Something that I just want to just just say that I do think is is such a strength of Bonhoeffer's uh, theological vision here is the fact that it is a theological vision. It is not just, you know, even though he begins with this this scriptural command in James, right, that we ought to be doing this. He's not just saying simply, hey, we should just be confessing because it's good for us, right? Because yeah. it's good for the church. It doesn't just go there. But he actually sees how, again, this is a participatory vision or right. in ways that we can actually participate in the life of Christ. Yeah. So um, 
he he walks through what, what he calls the breakthroughs of confession. And there are are four breakthroughs that he walks through. And I think probably what would be good for us to do is I could just walk through kind of one of these and then we could have a chat and then move on to the to the other ones. Um Real quick before before we do that, I just want to read one short paragraph that he has, which I think I, again captures this vision of of grace that this is about. Because I think I think this is really important. That I do think one of the dangers is if we've had bad experiences of confession or we don't understand confession, it it can the fear can be that it leaves us in this shameful position, and that is that is not the purpose here at all. For as we'll see for Bonhoeffer, this is about moving into a greater understanding of of forgiveness. So he says uh, this, thus the call within the Christian community to mutual confession and forgiveness goes out as a call to the great grace of God in the congregation. Right? This is what the vision is, is that the congregation will be filled together with the grace of God that will deepen in our understanding of God's grace as we recognize our solidarity as those who need that grace, as we are humbled in our own recognition of our sinfulness, then that humility creates the the ground in which grace can really grow and and thrive within our congregation. So I just want that clear out in front of everybody that, that this is the vision. The vision is a community filled with grace. Um, so he talks about these four breakthroughs. Uh, the first breakthrough, we've talked about this a little bit, but it's the breakthrough to community. And he starts there by saying that that sin wants to be left alone with people. That what sin does is it takes us away from fruitful relationships with each other and it isolates us that that sin is an isolating force and i think this is really well captured um in cs lewis's book the great divorce um i don't know if you, if you've read that book or if some of the listeners have read that book but it's kind of his his um kind of symbolic picture of of heaven and hell and when he's talking about hell, it's he doesn't use the symbols of, you know, fire and demons and devils. It's just kind of this gray, colorless land. But the way he describes people, the longer they're in hell, the further away from each other they are. There's this isolation that happens and that that is the damage of sin to us. We who were created to be in fellowship with God and neighbor Sin takes us away from that. And when we're covering from each other, when we're hiding our sin from each other, there's no real opportunity for the kind of relationship that God created us to have. So he he speaks about this isolating work of sin. It takes us away from the community. Um, but when we confess, the opposite happens. Right. This this breakthrough to community is the recognition that when we confess our sins to each other, uh, then we are drawn back to right relationship with each other. It says all that is secret and hidden comes to light. The sinner has been relieved of sin's burden 
And now the sinner stands in the community of sinners who live by the grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. I, I love this idea of the community of sinners here. And, and ultimately, we know that that's not meant to be the ultimate definition of, of who we are. Ultimately, we are the forgiven. But there's a a recognition that we won't get to that place of deepening in grace and forgiveness if we don't first recognize that we all are in this place of being sinners together. He says, we can admit our sins and in this very act, find community for the first time, right? That, that as we recognize our sinfulness, then we recognize each other as broken human beings, all of whom stand together with our desperate need for God's grace. When we confess sin, it's not about ranking, well, who's the best and who's the worst. We are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. That is the leveling fact of our brokenness, of our sinfulness. That leveling fact then means we can stand together under the grace of God and in that to be partakers together of his love and his kindness, which inevitably means we'll be kinder towards one another. Right? We'll be more gracious towards one another. The, the 70 times seven makes sense in light of this, right? The recognition of how much I have been forgiven, then how could I hold something against someone else if I have been so deeply forgiven by God. So this breakthrough to community really is central to his vision of life together. We don't get life together apart from this deepening in grace with and for each other. And and confession is the vessel of that. So one more thing, and then we can chat about it a little bit. Uh, just to be clear, there's nothing magical going on here. It's It's not that there are some kind of magical words that we say in confession that that if we say it just right then we get divine forgiveness it's not it's not magical in the sense of a a priestly hierarchy of someone has a certain kind of magical power and that person can grant forgiveness when we confess to each other and we say the words of forgiveness to each other uh, it's not me, if I say to you, Andrew, if you've confessed to me and I say you are forgiven, there's nothing in me that gives me the right to say those words. What I'm doing is just on your behalf, claiming the forgiveness that is ours together in Christ. But there's a power in the saying of it to each other. Yeah, that's helpful, Joel. That's really helpful. And I think that this is this is really good for those of us who trend towards or come from a tradition where a lot of emphasis is placed on the individual's relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And I think this is seen um, and pronounced very much so in the way we talk about confession that, um, and it is true that we are so thankful that when we confess to God, we can receive the forgiveness of Christ, but he's, he's helping us see that there is a a closer relationship that we can't, in other words, bracket out Jesus from the church. 
Right. 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 That, and we can't bracket out our love from God and our love from neighbor and all the things he wants to bring together um, that we tend to try to separate that then there's, Oh, there's God's people. And then there's God over here, but no, in fact, that God actually wants to mediate his presence through each other to one another, even through confession. And like you said, actually be able to own that forgiveness and hear it, um, hear God's forgiveness echoed back to us through one another. Yeah. And, and, and that again, kind of, you know, connects us back into the a theme that we've traced throughout the book and throughout our conversations on the reality of the presence of Christ in the church, that that's the beginning of everything. And, and again, I think just to reemphasize here, uh, I think we all know that theologically, but is that really the the shaping vision of our understanding of our Christian community that that Christ is here among us initiating working and we are in that sense priests to each other um through whom Christ works but it is Christ who is doing the work so this relativizes us um, and I think very healthy and important ways, it it places Christ at the center of our lives. And that is still very much operative in confession. This breakthrough, he's not talking here about, I have to stand up in front of the whole community and share all my sins, right? That that's not what this communal ideal is, that when I sit with another person, they are representative of the whole community to me. So this isn't talking about, hey, you know, we need to have a public airing of all of uh, the deepest things in front of everybody. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about one-to-one, maybe one-to-two. He's not, you know, super directive about it, but small groups where there is a, a, a work of mutual confession that is taking place. And in that, the whole community is being served but we're not talking about a public airing of all of our junk in front of everybody. So, Thank goodness. But yes. <laughs> in fact, yes, I agree. Okay. So the second one is uh, the breakthrough to the cross. And it's in this section that this idea of the, the pride of, of, or the sin of pride, superbia, he talks about here. This is the idea of, of humiliation. Um, He's talking about that here, this participating in the cross of Christ. And and what he says here is that it it is act it is not just the fact that I am a sinner that connects me to this humiliation, or that I confess my sin to God. We'll talk about that in in a little bit. What he's saying is confession in the presence of another believer is the humiliation that when I speak my sins, not just kind of alone between me and God, um, but between me and another person, that changes the dynamic of what I'm feeling when I am confessing my sin. And, and he he encourages us to think about theologically what's going on here, that this is the way that our flesh that the old self is being put to death and that that's painful because it was painful for Christ. Crucifixion 
is is painful and we're not we are we are saved from from ultimate death but we are not saved from the pain of our sinfulness uh, we have the promise that that ultimately will be the case but in this life in this time we're not saved from the ramifications of our sin from the consequences of our sin we're, we're not saved from the pain of cross bearing and so I, I think uh, his this idea of the breakthrough to the cross is really important because it it brings out I think a theological motif around what it means to be a cross bearer that we often miss. I think we we tend to think of cross bearing in more general terms. We tend to think of cross bearing maybe around. Um, you know, I have to lay down my life and follow Jesus, take up his cross and follow me. It's what he he commanded to us. And that's true. But I think what Bonhoeffer presses in on here is, okay, well, what does that look like? Like in our life as disciples, what is the practice of cross-bearing? Not just the general idea of it, but what is the practice of cross-bearing? And this is where he he is describing sin in this context, that this is the practice of cross-bearing. And in that, kind of toward the end of this section, he writes, the old humanity or the old man, kind of in Pauline terms, dies. Right? That, that, that is, we are being put to death by God. Soteriologically, our vision of salvation, we believe that at the moment that we confess that Christ is Lord, that we have been changed from the old to the new in our, our status before God has changed. But we also recognize throughout the new Testament that the old still dwells within us. And there's a, a work of God to put us to death. That's a continual ongoing work of God, putting us to death, raising us to life. So at one point he says that in confession, we basically rehearse or re-renew what happens in baptism, right? So baptism is the symbol of the once and for all, we have been put to death, we have been raised to life, we have that promise now in Christ. Confession then is the daily or weekly practice of renewing that work. So if... In a sense, baptism changes our our status, uh, but but confession is kind of the the daily, weekly, whatever the cleansing that we need as those who are being put to death. So I, I think this theology of of flesh and spirit, of life and death, of ultimate promise, like we could say justification. We have been justified. And here we might describe this confession as the work of sanctification. We are being made holy. We are being purified through the work of confession. So that's the the breakthrough to the cross in which the old self is being put to death and and the new self is being brought to life. Yeah, that's that's great. And and as I read it, not to put words in his mouth, but just my reflections on what he's written here is that it seems that like there's kind of two kind of 
aspects to this, that there's a participatory aspect that we're actually participating mm-hmm. in the sufferings of Christ or in the in the humiliation of Christ, I should say, um, in our own way, that there's a reappropriation even of of what Christ has done in us. But there's also this formative aspect yeah. that actually we're missing out on not just participating um, in what Christ has done. We're also missing out on the the formative aspects that God wants to begin to work out in us and through us, this actually does something to us, right? And yeah. I think one of the things it does is it keeps us from, you know, one of probably Bonhoeffer's most popular phrases, cheap grace, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That we actually <clears throat> just continue just to, as he'll talk about later, forgive ourselves <laughs> right? and not yeah. really actually voicing and, and sitting with and f- with someone else, Um with people in the community of Jesus sitting with our sins with another. Yeah. Yeah. In the, the last line in this section that I, I started to quote, I didn't finish it. It said the old humanity dies, but God has triumphed over it. Now we share in the resurrection of Christ and eternal life. Right. So the breakthrough to the cross participation in the cross, the goal of that is not to keep us hanging on the cross because cross is the means to, resurrection. That is the ultimate. Um, In our life today, this kind of life before we have entered into the fullness of of glory, we are in kind of a a perpetual Easter weekend, right? We are are dying and we are rising continually. That's, That's the reality of this life that we are living as followers of Christ, that the, the participation in the cross the purpose of that is to participate in the resurrection. So again, I think that's an important piece to make sure that we're, that I, that I want to make sure I'm emphasizing uh, it, because I don't want people to feel like this just kind of leaves us hanging on the cross. The goal is, as we'll talk about here in, in a minute, the goal is the the breakthrough to new life. That is the purpose of confession. Absolutely. But like you say, oftentimes we want to, we have to actually go through the cross, right? Yeah. To get to the resurrection. And, and, you know, Paul talks about participating in the, in the, the whole life of Jesus Christ, not just the resurrection, not just the cross, yeah. but both. And that's kind of the movement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I, I think it's, it, it is important for us to, to realize that there's this, kind of dual mode of our life with Christ. There is the, we have been put to death and we have been raised to life. And at the same time, there is the, we are being put to death and we are being raised to life. And I think that the tension of the Christian life is often lived between those two things where we, we have the promise that we are no, we do no longer belong to the old. We now belong to the new and yet so often it really feels like I still belong to the old. Right? Mm-hmm. So we have this, this tension. And I think that tension is just an inevitable part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus that drives us back to the cross, but not to just sit there in the shame of my sinfulness, but that that is the the mechanism, the the grace of God in my life to bring me to a place of, of growing in new life, growing in resurrection. 
Absolutely. So the the next one uh, is the con- the breakthrough to new life confession as a breakthrough to new life, and this is actually a it's a pretty short it's one paragraph that he spends on this. Um, and I think the the key concept here is he equates this with conversion. In confession, there is conversion. Again, this can kind of get us to this conversation that we're having uh, around the way evangelicalism sometimes talks about conversion is a conversion experience. Right. We had a conversion experience. We can look back in our lives and we can tell the story of when we were converted to Christ. And Bonhoeffer is all for that. But he also wants us to think about this continual conversion in which everything has become new and yet everything also is being made new. So he, he's he's encouraging us to recognize that conversion isn't a once for all, it happened as a moment in time, but conversion is a continual process and confession is, is central to this work of conversion because it's, it's here that we continually are recognizing our need for grace. It's here that we're continuing to claim the grace that God has given to us and to enact our walking in that grace through the the confession of our sin. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, you know, you you said it's dangerous to talk about somebody's dissertation. It's so I did my dissertation on water baptism, and so yeah. <clears throat> the this 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 whole co- concept of conversion and, and baptism and the could could make me long-winded on this, but I won't. But all I'll say is, I think this is exactly right. And I think oftentimes, perhaps one of the reasons confession is so undervalued, at least the way that Bonhoeffer is talking about it, um, and at least in terms of our own lives of confession, and or even, even the way we see that it maybe is not as important as other things in the Christian life, I think is pretty much tied to our kind of overly simplistic way of envisioning conversion, that it is kind of mm. this this static one-time decision. Maybe I raise my hand and or, or whatever, but that actually, like you said, conversion, salvation itself is a multifaceted dynamic yeah. act um, and process. And baptism is tied to that, right? Yeah. And every time, and this is very Lutheran, um, so I think that it's, you know, it's, it's something you can creep back to, Luther says, yeah. uh, all, all the time. And confession yeah. is by one of those means by which we can creep back to our baptism and reappropriate it, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, in in discipleship, Bonhoeffer talks a lot about baptism. He has a whole chapter on baptism, and it, it really does function in this way of that that is this this ultimate symbol that Christ gave to us of his assurance of our salvation. And we can cling to that. I have been baptized with Christ. I have been put to death, but I like that Lutheran idea of creeping back to that or looking back to that. And there uh, in this connection that Bonhoeffer makes between confession and baptism, that this is a, a means by which we are calling upon the reality of our baptism through the the life that we live. We don't get baptized every day or every week because baptism is a very particular symbol 
of a very particular thing. But this confession as conversion idea connects us back to that reality that and, and helps us to hang on to that and to claim that even as we're confessing our sinfulness, we're claiming the reality of what happened to us that is symbolized in our baptism. And on this, this idea of kind of the process of salvation, you know, when I teach this in my theology classes, I, I talk about the tenses of salvation. Uh, in a sense, justification is entry into salvation. And there, there, for many of us, we can point to a moment in which that took place. And, and that's a, a beautiful thing. Other people, they can't really point to a moment, but it's very clear that they are they are followers of Christ. Um, but there's a there's the justifying work, then there's this sanctifying work, which is we are being saved. And then there's glorification, which is we will be saved. And interestingly, in the New Testament, the majority of use of salvation, soter, so where we get the theological term soteriology, salvation from the Greek word soter, the majority of those are future tense, looking forward to our salvation on the day that our salvation will be given to us, right? And so I think it's important for us not just to think of salvation as this moment in the past that really disconnects us, I think, from the biblical story of what, what God is doing and how that points us forward in longing for the deliverance of the salvation that we have been promised, that we are partakers in, but have not fully received yet. And that our, our Christian life is oriented in hope towards the, the final reception of the gift of salvation that God has promised to us. And confession, again, functions in this place of looking back to baptism, but now also looking forward to the ultimate forgiveness that will be ours. Absolutely. Yeah, we have been saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. And confession That's is it. kind of participating within that whole long journey. Yeah. But again, we are just, we're on the journey, but God is directing it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think from there, then we can move to the to the fourth uh, breakthrough, the breakthrough to assurance. Uh, in in this section, Bonhoeffer asks some really interesting questions, some some kind of pointed questions. He he begins it by asking, "Why is it often easier for us to acknowledge our sins before God than before another believer?" Right. God is holy and without sin, a just judge of evil and an enemy of all disobedience. But another Christian is sinful. Should we not find it easier to go to one another than to the holy? God. I think that's a, a really interesting question that he poses. And it it remember when I was first reading this and, and reflecting on this, it really caused me to to pause and think, why is it that it is easier for me just to be me and God? Right? I'll confess my sins to God. Um, but when you throw someone else in the room, it's a lot harder to do it. You know, I wrestled with, well, is it because I just, I know the character of God and I know the grace of God and I know that God will be gracious to me. Um, and I think that's, there's some truth to that, but then that also raises the question of why aren't we that gracious towards one another? Why am I concerned about what 
this other person might think or what another person might do with the knowledge that I give them of my sinfulness. And I, I think that's a something we have to think carefully about because it has been the case that people have confessed things and it's come back to hurt them. But I, I think that is so telling and so damning, frankly, of the way that the, the church does not act graciously towards each other. And I think that really is a sign that we're not living under grace. We're not living in the grace of God. And and Bonhoeffer talks about this. He says, is not the maybe the, the, the reason that we we find it easier to confess to God is because we're not actually confessing to God. We're confessing to ourselves. And is the reason that we continue to perpetuate in different sinful patterns because we're not actually living from the forgiveness of God? We're living from our own self-forgiveness. And our own self-forgiveness is not transformative. Only the forgiving word of God can truly transform. And, and his point is that if we're not able to confess to another, we might be living in this self-deception and think that we're confessing to God and think that we're receiving the forgiveness of God when in fact we're just confessing to ourselves and in that we're forgiving ourselves, but that won't have the transformative power that the word of God has. So when another person is in the room with us and we're confessing our sin, then what is occurring is this potential that I'm just deceiving myself and I'm only confessing to myself, that's broken. And now that person speaking a word of forgiveness really truly becomes for me the word of God. Not because that person's a special person or they're a priest or whatever, but because they are functioning for me as the one who is the mouthpiece of God, proclaiming God's forgiveness. And in that, we truly hear the word of forgiveness. Yeah, this was this was the most convicting part for me. Yeah, um, I, it just was wow. Me too, and come back to it over and over again. Over oh my years. goodness! It's yeah. and if I just for our listeners, if you haven't if you haven't picked up the book yet, I would really strongly encourage you. To, I mean, to read all of it. Really, we we yeah. obviously doing a podcast. We think it's great, but <laughs> this part in particular, I do think that there's his question is a very good question. Why is it that we really do feel more comfortable confessing to God, considering we are confessing to God than yeah. others? And I don't think it, I think you're right. I don't think it's only because we just don't trust people to be gracious. Because in fact, especially in a church setting, if you sit with, if you sit with Christ filled people, many of them are very gracious. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. uh, will be, will be very much, um, loving and yeah. and gracious recognizing our vulnerability but i think that we are so used to having a a difference in in who we know we are for right. who's who we betray we are yeah uh, i think that's very much alive in all of our lives whether we want to admit it or not yeah no i i, I think that's right i and i think this is you know what he's talking about here is is the this breakthrough to life together that this is kind of the final step and and then ultimately that's that is what leads him into his 
few comments on the Lord's Supper at the end. But what the Lord's Supper is, what why, why confession is preparation for the Lord's Supper, is that the Lord's Supper is the the means by which we figuratively, symbolically play out the reality of who we are. And that is we are the body of Christ, the body that was broken for us. We are those who've been bought with the blood of Christ, the blood that was spilled for us. And and so the the taking of the Lord's Supper as it symbolizes who we are as the body of Christ, it tells us the gospel. But in order to really hear the gospel, we have to we have to acknowledge and recognize that we are sinners. And when churches don't create an atmosphere where we can really be sinners, they going back to the beginning of the chapter where he says, if we're just ga- gathering together as a bunch of pious believers, then that, that piety, that lack of permission for us to be broken is fundamentally keeping us from being healed from being forgiven and, and experiencing the grace of God. So I think uh, this is one of the great tragedies for me of people who have been harmed by the church, who've been harmed by, by ungracious attitudes within the church, who've been harmed by legalistic judgmental attitudes within the church that that creates a vision of what the church is that is the exact opposite of what we are called to be. And, and so as, as, a, as a pastor, as a congregant, I think one of the things that is so vital to us is are we attentive to the atmosphere in our community? And is it a place where people are allowed to be sinners? Because if it's not, then we're just keeping people trapped in their sin. And for the church to be a community or an association that is keeping people trapped in their sin is to, it's to betray the gospel. It's, it's, it's really to be heretical. Uh, Maybe we have the right beliefs, but we're not living those beliefs out. So the the community formation piece that is so important here, uh, I, I think, really does raise questions for all of us about: Does our church community really reflect who Christ is in His kindness and in His grace? And it's not winking at sin. It's not calling something that you know, saying, "Well, that's not really sin. It's okay." He's not at all saying you just kind of turn away from sin. He's saying you actually move toward it. You move into it. You acknowledge it. And in that you find life and in that you find life together. Yeah. Cause, cause acknowledging it is the only way for it to be healed. Otherwise yeah. it is just, it's ignoring it. It's, it's playing acting as if yep. it doesn't exist. And I, I love on, uh, and again, this is the Fortress Press Reader's Edition, but on page 95 of my copy, he says, if Christians seriously deal on a daily basis with the cross of Christ, they will lose the spirit of human judgmentalism as well as the weak indulgence 
yeah. receiving instead the spirit of divine firmness and divine love. Yeah. So what you're yeah. saying is, you know, how so many people have been, how people have been hurt from this kind of legalistic judgmentalism. Yeah. But in fact, one of the cures, not just a freedom for the sinner, but well, let me say it this way, not just freedom for what we would typically view as a, as, as sin, but also yeah. for the sin of yes. legalism of yes. false righteousness is actually right. confession as well, because uh, it yeah. opens us up to God and to the other. Yeah. He also says, uh, whoever li lives beneath the cross of Jesus and has discerned in the cross of Jesus, the utter ungodliness of all people and of their own hearts will find that there is no sin that can ever be unfamiliar. In other words, if we really live under the cross and through that come to truly understand ourselves, then the idea of sitting in judgment over others becomes absolutely impossible for us to, to sit and to say, well, I know my, I got my junk, but look at that person's stuff. The, the point is in Paul, you know, makes this point in a couple of different places, Basically, the flesh dwells in me, so whatever dwells in anyone dwells in me. And I might not have lived it out the exact way that you have or that someone else has, but if I truly live under the cross, then that means ultimately that there is nothing sinful that is foreign to me. Mm. And when we have that mindset about ourselves, again, how can we not then live in the grace of God and then the forgiveness that God provides for us. Absolutely. You know, something that I think is kind of tied into the Lord's Supper here is, um, you know, if you read any kind of, you know, liturgical prayer, confession yeah. precedes the Lord's Supper. And I think that, yeah. you know, there's, there's good logic to that and to what Bonhoeffer is doing because, um, you know, not because, you know, at least in, for me, um, I think the Lord's Supper is is communing with God in a real way. That there is a there's a this figurative element, and that but there's this 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 real element of being in the presence of God and yeah. being in the presence of one another. Yeah, and I think that's that's what you know. There's there's various words for this practice. Lord's Supper is one of them. Communion is another one. Mm -hmm. That it's and that highlights that we're actually communing with God and communing with others. And in fact, confession, there's there's confession of God that helps us commune with God, yes. Yeah. But how really much can we commune with God, with others, in a real, true Christian sense, if we are not, as Bonhoeffer is calling us to, really confessing to one another, yeah. to really yeah. communing in a deep way and doing life together? Yeah, and, and I think that, that also then, you know, it speaks to our understanding of what is happening in the Lord's supper. I, I you know, yes. I grew up, my tradition was kind of the, the tradition where you, you pass the plates and you take the element, you know, you take the bread, you take the cup, and then it's just kind of me sitting there and, and it's between me and God. Um, I've, I've moved into a tradition now. And then I, and I did this as a pastor where we have people come forward to take communion. And I'm not, you know, trying to say that there's like a biblically mandated form of how you do it, 
what what I do think happens when people come forward is you're walking among other people up to the elements. You're looking at other people in the eye as you're receiving the elements from them. There is this sense of that this is about all of us. And there's something formative happening here about all of us that I think that vision re- really does capture well. I think it also brings out the the celebratory nature of the Lord's Supper. The, the other way I often experienced it personally is more of a, a somber experience. Um, and there is a somberness to our acknowledging what happened on the cross, but if our experience of confession or of Lord's Supper is only somber, I don't think we're capturing that this is a table that we are rehearsing in anticipation of the eternal feast, the eternal celebration with Christ. And so I think as we think about this communal nature of confession and the way that we confess to each other, and, and there is the the vitality of experiencing the humiliation of that, that is in service of forgiveness and resurrection in the same way with the Lord's supper, we connect these things to each other. The Lord's supper then is a time of the community doing this as we recognize the cross of Christ, which is somber, but that that points us towards the resurrection of Christ and the eternal feast that we share with each other. Yeah, when I was when I was at um in co- during COVID, I was at um a different church than I am now pastoring and I remember the experience of again inviting weekly um our people to come and share at the table of the mm. Lord. And then at COVID, uh we we stopped doing that and yeah. we had our own kind of individual cups and experiences and there was a profound difference. Um not just in terms of the the symbolism of it, yeah. But even experientially, right. there was a difference because again, there was this kind of communal way of participating. And I think that um, you know, if we if we if we think about the ways that Bonhoeffer is talking about confession and kind of adding a, a riffing off of that on our own thoughts for Lord's Supper, something I would add um, that I think is kind of kind of dovetails is that when we are taking the Lord's Supper and there is no communal prayer mm-hmm. to even agree with, then we are kind of forced to only have our own individual, which is fine because I think individual prayers to the Lord for confession are great. Yeah. But there is something to the fact of preparing for communion and confessing together, reading yeah. something together and saying something yeah. together that again is reiterating that we are confessing not only to God, but to one another, that we are indeed a people who need new life and we need to be fed. We need to be forgiven. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a a beautiful thing that, that Bonhoeffer closes at the table. He he closes this book on life together at the Lord's supper table. And the, the last couple lines, he says here, the community has reached its goal. Here, joy in Christ and Christ's community is complete. The life together of Christians under the word has reached its fulfillment in the sacrament, has reached its fulfillment at the table, right? So we've talked a lot about the under the word piece throughout life together. 
And I just love this kind of vision I have in my mind of your the the church gathered around the table together that symbolizes the word of the gospel to us in physical form. And we gather around that table as the thing that unites us, as the thing that, that binds us. I might be really different from the person standing next to me around the table. I might, you know, be very different in in skills and in interests in the sports teams that I like, in the political a party that I vote for, I might be really different from them in a lot of different ways. But as we stand around the table uh, under the word of God, taking the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ, that is our unity under the word. And I, I think it's a, a beautiful image for Bonhoeffer to conclude this vision of life together with. Mm, absolutely. Well, Joel, this has been so fun, man. And yeah, uh, it's been great. I've really enjoyed yeah. the conversations. I hope it's been helpful for folks and hope people uh, dip in a little bit more to to Bonhoeffer. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I just can't thank you enough. I I know this has been so even just helpful for me. Um, just having you help walk through, through this with me and with others, and uh, I know I've cleaned a lot. So thank you, Joel. This has been a lot. Yeah, great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thinking Within the Church. It really means a lot. If you also don't mind to rate and review the show, that really does help get the word out. You can review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform of your choice. Thanks again, and hope to catch you next episode.